Welcome to yet another Halloween-inspired installment of the Sister Luna Psychic Services Podcast. I'm your host, Madeline Starchild, and this is my co-host, Slurpy McGee. number one top rated ASMR podcast <laughs> that also deals with that also deals with the topics of witchcraft, esotericism, the occult, horror. Did you just make up the word esotericism? No, that's a word. Esotericism. Yeah. Esoterist? An esoterist. <laughs> I'm gonna fly this magic broom into the World Trade Center. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't going to finish the sentence because I allowed you to get canceled instead. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. Today's episode is about costumes and ritual. And if anyone has been following this podcast on social media, mm-hmm. you've been seeing me updating on different costumes each day of the week. Leading up to Halloween. Just consistently trying to get herself canceled. <laughs> okay, no. No? Why should I get canceled for that? You were first like an Egyptian mummy, which... Ancient Egypt. Ancient Egyptian mummy. So all of the people that recognize or celebrate... Practice? Practice, yeah. <laughs> Ancient Egypt... They're all mad. Yep. They're rolling over in their sarcophagi. And then you were a pirate. Well, when I posted those images of me dressed as the pirate, I pointed out that many of the most prominent pirates in history were women. And in fact, it's one of those early professions that women could have that could potentially make them very powerful, successful individuals, which was not an easy type of job to come by in that era for women. So... I'm pro-women pirates, and mm. you can't talk me out of it. <laughs> Ching Shi. Ching Shi, who lived and pillaged during the King, Q-I-N-G, I'm not sure if that's correct pronunciation, yeah. dynasty, has been called the most successful pirate in history. At the, dyna- at the dawn of the 19th century, a former prostitute from a floating brothel in the city of Canton became a fearsome pirate who operated in the South China Sea. On her ships... She ran very tight ships, literally, (laughs) and she had very harsh sentences for certain types of crimes. For example, rape was punishable by death. And I think that that's informed by her history as a sex worker. Yeah. Yeah. In ancient China, she's probably like knows the horrors of what that is and what that looks like. And she feels that people who commit that crime deserve to die. And to be honest, I'm usually with her on that. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. She used her position of power for good and... I mean, to an extent. She did a lot of horrible shit. I'm sure she murdered lots of people and she certainly stole a lot of stuff. Um, Eh, stealing, stealing. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, if you think about the era, 16th century, women did not have a lot of options. No. And she was fucking crushing it as far as being a woman went during that time period. However, when you're talking about me getting canceled for wearing this costume, she was a Chinese woman. I only mentioned her first because she was the most successful female pirate in history. 
However, there is another very notable female pirate from history named Anne Bonny, who was Irish. So mm. you cannot get in tr- oh, me in yeah. trouble for dressing up as Anne Bonny. Fuck you, I am Irish. <laughs> well, I mean, we still haven't actually gotten into the subject of the week, but do you want to go over Anne Bonny real quick? I really because, do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, follow us on Instagram for the images at sisterlunapodcast at instagram.com. It's also on the Twitter and the Facebook. Check us out. Fucking nobody follows us on Instagram. So if I get one new follow from this upload, I'm going to be stoked. I'll start following. (laughs) You dick. (laughs) I want you to be stoked. Uh She has this really great quote. If there is a man among ye... Come and fight me, basically. I think think there's like a tale of her ship getting boarded um, unexpectedly by like a rival pirate ship, essentially. And all the men in her crew were drunk and like too fucked up to really fight. But all the women on the crew were sober and like just kicked so much ass. And all of the like British... Cop, coppers who were trying to take over their shit were like, oh, holy fuck. <laughs> they were not expecting to get their asses handed to them so hard by Anne Bonnie and her ladies. It's funny because uh, there's a very specific type of guy and I think it's kind of endemic amongst like certainly the Irish and like my people, the Scots and definitely like Poles where they're like, man, if I were allowed to have, like, four beers before I got into a UFC ring, I would fucking kick ass. I would mm. take a whole bunch of people down, man. Like, I tell you what, it's just, I don't know what it is. It just unlocks my potential, and, and I'm like a fucking I'm a stupid fighter. thing to say. Well. Based on the amount of dudes that have come at me when they're so drunk that they're about to fall down, and I'm just like, I can... It's like in a video game where the spot where you need to hit them is like lighting up <laughs> and that's just right on the corner of their jaw. And I'm like, okay, yeah, come on, big boy. Let's see how what you got. Yeah. And then it's just click. Good night. <laughs> like you had one hit in you to take mm. and I just gave it to you. So you're done. <laughs> like it's not, it doesn't make you better at fighting. No. <laughs> at all. As Bonnie learned. As she proved. Yeah. Are you looking up her beats? Well, okay. I'm looking at a Smithsonian article right now. And it, it says that she was living as a man. Hmm. Which, that seems like one of those things that could be kind of, the nuance of it would be lost yes, to history. Yeah, you know, sure. I'm sure that it was more of a an androgynous hmm. lifestyle of like, oh, I'm wearing pants. And people yeah. are like, oh, she's living as a man. She's a, hmm. <laughs> She still went by Anne. What the fuck? She didn't change her name. Hmm. She didn't change her name to an, a man's name. Yeah. You know? A woman wearing pantaloons? Right, exactly. Okay, so it looks like Anne had a friend named Mary. Okay, so it seems like Anne might have been hooking up with a chick named Mary. Someone else was jealous, so some dude was jealous, burst into her cabin, intending to slit her throat. Mary sat up and opened her blouse. And the mm-hmm. dude agreed to keep Mary's secret from the rest of the crew, continued to treat her as an equal. I guess he thought she was a dude. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, you're a girl. You have boobs. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. 
Um, during battles, Anne and Mary fought side by side, wearing billowing jackets and long trousers and handkerchiefs wrapped around their heads, wielding a machete and a pistol in either hand. That sounds so fucking cool. I'm going mm. to die. They were very active on board, another victim later testified, and willing to do anything. The summer and early fall of 1720 proved especially lucrative for her crew. In September, they took seven fishing boats and two sloops near Harbor Island. A few weeks later, Anne and Mary led a raid against a schooner, shooting at the crew, and they climbed aboard, cursing as they gathered their plunder. Had some, held some captives. Do, do, do. Anne and Mary were on deck on the night of October the 22nd and noticed a mysterious ship gliding up alongside them. They realized it was one of the governor's vessels and they shouted for their crewmates to stand with them. A few obliged, the guy included, Rackman, but several had passed out from the night's drinking. The sloop's captain, Jonathan Barnett, ordered the pirates to surrender, but Rackman began firing his swivel gun. Barnett ordered a counterattack and the barrage of fire disabled Rackman's ship and sent the few men on deck cowering in the hold. Outnumbered, Rackman signaled a surrender, but Anne and Mary refused to surrender. They remained on deck and faced the governor's men alone, firing their pistols and swinging their cutlasses. Mary, the legend goes, was so disgusted she stopped fighting long enough to peer over the entrance of the hold. Okay, so this is Anne's girlfriend's girl, mm -hmm. not hers. Yeah. If there's a man among ye, you'll come up and fight me like the man ye are to be. Arr! <laughs> Very piratey quote. When not a single comrade responded, she fired a shot down into the hold, killing one of them. Jesus. Anne and Mary and the rest of Rackman's crew were finally overpowered and taken prisoner. I've got the the end to that story. Oh. Bonnie blamed Rackham for the capture. Mm. Her last words to him in prison are recorded as... Well, he was the, the captain, so it's his fault. Yeah. Calico Jack Rackham. Her last words to him in prison are recorded as... I almost feel like you should read this. Let me see. Will you do the Irish accent? Or you can I can try. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to see you there, but if you'd fought like a man, you'd not have hanged like a dog. How mm. is that? Hopefully no Irish people are listening. <laughs> I can only do two accents outside of my usual voice, and those are both the ones that I'm like, it's my in my blood. Yeah. You know? I'm trying to just tap into this little bit of Ireland that's left in there. Right. The one green clover in my circulatory system <laughs> just floats around. Rackham was hanged, but Bonnie's pregnancy earned mm -hmm. her a stay of execution. Same with Mary. She was also pregnant. Smart. Mm -hmm. However, no historical record of her death sentence was found. Some speculate that her affluent father paid a handsome price to have her set free. I definitely prefer the idea of being the captain of the ship rather than just being like one of the best crew members or whatever, because to be honest, the role of one of the best crew members who saves everybody else's ass is kind of the role of women in a lot of professions to this day. Hmm. I'd much rather be the boss. <laughs> like right. When I was dressed as the pirate in the images, I was wearing the captain's hat and the captain's jacket and mm -hmm. I was like, I'm the captain, fuck you. <laughs> Look at me. Wait, can I do it in an Irish accent? No. Should I try it? Yes. Look at me. Look at me. I'm the captain now. <laughs> okay, so the reason we're talking about pirates is because today I dressed up as a pirate for social media reasons. 
So I was dressed in a costume. And the subject of today's episode is... Hold on. What are we... We're 28 minutes and 23 seconds in. The subject of today's episode (laughs) is costumes. In ritual, specifically. Costumes in ritual. Spiritual use of costuming. I know we already did an episode about trick-or-treating. The costumes are not just for trick-or-treat. Even if you are wearing them for a like Halloween fun times type reason, you can still sneak some witchiness in there. For example, was this last year? No, year before last? Last year on Halloween, we went to Dickens. It's like a local golf bar that has sweet Halloween parties, pre-COVID obviously. I came out of the bathroom and I saw a girl Mm -hmm. wearing a cat mask, but it had like gold detailing on it. And she had like a cool outfit with like gold bracelets and stuff. And she turns to me and says, I'm like, come out of the bathroom. I'm looking all around. I'm like looking around, looking confused. And the girl in the cat outfit says, Hecate. Mm-hmm. I turn and look at her. She says, are you looking for Serenists? <laughs> and I was like, Bast? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, what's happening? <laughs> It was just the best moment. And I was looking for you. Exactly. I had dressed you up as Serenus. And I was dressed as Hecate. She was dressed as Bast. And I was just like, you're the only person in this entire place who knows what we're both dressed as. And I made her take a picture with me because I was so excited. The real ass American gods hours. That's true. It really was. And we should post the picture of us from the in those costumes on the Instagram for this episode. And also, that wasn't our the first time that we dressed up as a pair of gods. When was the other time? When we were Hades and Persephone. Persephone yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> Aw, cute. Those two are actually a couple. Those are mm-hmm. actually both from the same right, pantheon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So we, on Halloween, people dress up as characters that they appreciate, that they enjoy, or that they see themselves in that character, or they want to see themselves as that character. And that's why they wear the costume, right? Right. It's fun. It Mm -hmm. helps you visualize yourself in a different role. It changes your perspective. It has a lot of power. Certainly. Donning a costume. Mm -hmm. Like I said, when I put on that pirate, at first I thought like, this is silly. I keep doing these costumes. No one sees them. I just post them on social... I guess people on social media maybe see them, but I'm not going anywhere in the costumes. But then as soon as I had that all on, and I had the coat on, and I was, like, looking at myself and looking at pictures, I was like, I look like a boss bitch. I felt so empowered for a minute there. I was like, hell yes, where's my ship? Like, I'm ready to take on the world. It's like you were donning someone else's skin. But for real, in ritual, the purpose of costumes is to help you with visualization, help you with focus. But the way that that's facilitated is by connecting you with your younger self. Nowadays, people... God, I talk shit on spiritualists a lot (laughs) on this podcast. But people like these love and light... Only I talk to angels, people are always like, you need to access your higher self. It's all about the higher self. Everything is. Mm -hmm. Everyone's talking about higher self all the time, only forever. 
And I guess the assumption is that the mundane world and allopathic medicine is paying attention to and treating the middle self, like, you know, the rational self, Mm. physical body, etc. But there's another version of the self that people in spiritual circles don't really give much credit to usually anymore. And that's the younger self. Mm. Which if we're thinking of these in terms of worlds, the higher self exists in the higher planes, the physical self, the actual self exists in the physical realm, the middle world, and the younger self exists in the lower world or in the subconscious, in the memory. It's like Mm. your inner child. Right. And ideally, to be perfectly focused on any given task, you would be aligning all three of those selves together on the same task. It's interesting, and I I think it is kind of prescient because I do feel like this is a very easy time to neglect the the inner child, to neglect neglect the the inner self. Younger self. Younger self. Just because everything is happening so much. And also really like the, the options, the real kind of opportunity to have any sort of joy or fun is so, so constructed at the moment. Yeah. Depending on where you live is like you can like certainly not go to like leisure centers, although Mm. those gyms are open, but. You can't go down like a water slide. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You can't even really interact with people. You can mm-hmm. talk and have fun. And like just goof off. Yeah. Like yeah. even if you're going to a restaurant or, or a pub, it's you've got your little isolation chamber and then you absolutely do not try to interact. The The only like real opportunity to interact with strangers is when you pick up your mobile phone and you get into your little space suit and you get on the space station and then you either murder them or fear that they're going to murder you. There's a cutie among us, and to be honest, you're looking kind of sus. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to say that when when people are feeling badly, when they're struggling, I think that the younger self shows itself by manifesting some of these like base or urges. Like, oh, I don't feel happy, I feel sad, so I want to eat some ice cream. Or I just feel really overwhelmed, so I just want to watch my favorite, like, cartoon. Yeah. That's the younger self trying to care for you in a situation where you're struggling. And higher self might tell you, like, go meditate or, like, go Mm. inside and look at a tree or whatever. Yeah. But um, that's often harder to do because it does require a lot more from you as the middle person as just like a human being in order to uh, carry out these tasks that might be suggested to you by your higher self you need to look at all this stuff that you don't want to look at like you need to acknowledge it you can't meditate without doing that right like it's not gonna happen as soon as you close your eyes and try to quiet your mind all the thoughts you've been avoiding are gonna come up And I'm not saying that's not a good thing to do, because it is, if you feel capable of it. But sometimes you just aren't. Yeah. And that's when the younger self comes in with a different solution of, you know, why don't Hmm. you take a bubble bath or watch a cartoon or do something else that's going to make you feel a little bit better and help you out. Yeah. 
I think people oftentimes, like, especially in the past, not, it's changing a little bit now, I think, but they've looked down on those, um, those options or those choices of, like, indulging in whatever way, um, whether that's alcohol, drugs, you know, food, distraction, play, whatever. Um, it's been frowned upon as, like, a cop-out or not as good of a solution as if you were doing the thing that the higher self is suggesting to you right. to do. And I think that's really unfair and it's unbalanced in the way that that type of like white light spirituality often is. And that's why I take such issue with it. Well, and like, I, I feel that it's, it's very, very easy for people unbalanced in one way or the other because particularly if you only have these base pleasures if you're just seeking to pleasure your lizard brain you become an addict it's not even about addiction so much as like that's reinforced from external it's that people will think of you that way so look down upon it's like well I have a shitty job, I have a shitty life, and the thing that gives me pleasure is looked down upon by broader society, so I don't care about broader society, I'm going to do the thing that makes me happy. Right. And I, I think I think if it wasn't that, I think if there wasn't that stigma and people could like be open and honest about like whatever kind of vices, and, and like, I don't even want to call them vices, but... Uh, of those like lower self or like um, what did you call it? Younger self. Yeah, those younger self impulses. Mm-hmm. If you if it was easier to just own that and say like this is part of me, mm-hmm. then it would be easier to not let it consume you. Like that's not to get too far on a tangent, but like the like the twelve step program. Mm-hmm is very much reinforces the idea that you are consumed by your addiction, that you are someone who who is an addict and your life is defined by sex, drugs, alcohol. And to me, that seems like if you are fixing the problem, you are just kind of, you aren't changing anything. You aren't Mm -hmm. changing your actual... Your, your need your, for that doesn't disappear. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Like you're not changing your, your spiritual connection to whatever, like to your yourself. You are instead just making it an antagonistic. Right. And I think like, a, I, don't know, I don't know how I would design a program that's different because certainly like if alcohol is destroying your life, that's the best one, but it fucking sucks. Like it doesn't, it has a very, very low success rate. And I think it's because they don't really recognize people's like lived experience or their material conditions or like anything that would actually like change the fundamental relationship that they have to. Yeah. Well, I think it's oftentimes with addiction, it's like one thing gets replaced with another, mm-hmm. like one way of dealing with your pain in your life just gets replaced with another way of dealing with it that's more culturally acceptable. Yeah. Whether, like, if you look at Robert Downey Jr., for example, he used to be a big cokehead, and now he's a yogi. You see that a lot. 
You see the transition from drugs to yoga a lot. And, I mean, that's good. It's definitely better for your body. The term for that is sublimation. You're taking this energy that you have, dedicated to one thing, and transmogrifying it into something different. Yeah, and I mean, there's very specific types of vices that society looks down upon in particular. Um, Traditionally, it's been drugs, alcohol, food, like being overweight. And now it's starting to include, you know, internet or like video game addiction, Mm -hmm. things like this. Just anything that makes you basically not a useful pawn in the capitalist society is like, that's not an okay way for you to deal with your pain. Yeah. It would make more sense if programs that were focused on helping alleviate addiction from people were more individualistic and more holistic instead of being like these are the rules that you need to follow and if you fuck up then you're back at the start and see i i would disagree on the individualistic part because i do think that i think the the number one thing that you can point to as the cause of success of the like um, 12-step programs is that they kind of in an anarchical way create these like little communities and they create this mm-hmm. like this broad based support coalition of, doesn't matter where you are you can find people that are more or less in your your situation and right i think if they embraced that more sure. they would be more successful but instead it's like these communities of people that are pushing an individualist ideology Uh, I don't disagree with the community building aspect being, like, the best part. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with that point. I just, when I said individualistic, I meant more, like, acknowledging each person who's in the program as an individual person with individual circumstances that led them to the place where they are. And I think that's what would naturally happen in a community-based meeting is, like, you're going to treat each person as an individual because they are Mm -hmm. versus if you are say a caseworker and they're your patient you might not necessarily see them that way as much you might see them as you know a product of a certain society and whatever you know you're seeing them as a number more so than as an individual whereas if you're in a community-based meeting all those people are just looking at each other as other people that's kind of like a that's a very deep conversation but i i think if you want people to excel as individuals, you really need that strong cultural, social, and ec- economic background of community. Yeah. Um, because, of, like, if you look at, say, like Cuban civil society or anyone in a union, it's you are better able to speak on behalf of another person's individuality because you have shared interests because you know them and there's not a power dynamic. There's, mm, there's right. you're not appealing to power to say like, well, I'm better this person than this person. You're saying this person is valid. This person is deserves the rights that I do because we are the same. Like Your anarchist is showing just lack of hierarchy. I mean, I agree. Mm. I 100% agree. And that's another reason why I take issue with a lot of It's not as much of a thing anymore, especially with, like, the Zoomers getting into paganism now. A lot of the 70s era neo-pagan stuff is kind of getting phased out. But initially, a lot of covens had a priest and a priestess who were always the same people who were, like, in charge 
of the coven. And if you wanted to join, you had to do initiation and you had to mm. go through all these steps to be deemed like worthy of being. It's like a cult. It's like yeah. Scientology. You're moving up in the levels or whatever. And I've never liked that at all, ever. No. I've always mm. found that really problematic and... It was what kept me away from being like practicing with other people for a lot of years. My practice was a solitary practice for most of my life already still. Mm -hmm. Even though now when I, I like get, we get together for the big Sabbaths and stuff usually, like pretty reliably summer solstice is one that we always do together. Me and like my little small coven. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I oftentimes try to pass the torch of like leader of the ceremony to someone else in the coven. And usually no one really wants to pick it up, mm -hmm. but I'm certainly never going to insist that I do it or like refuse someone else if they want to do it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I just happen to be the most outgoing and theatrical of <laughs> everyone in the group. Like it doesn't mean anything other than that, mm. that I'm just the one who wants to talk the most. Okay. On the topic, now that we're talking about rituals already, yeah. I want to give some examples of how costumes are actually used to affect in rituals. And since we're already talking about covens, one really good example is when you are doing a large group ritual with a lot of people in a large area so that each person who is doing the thing that I normally do, like reading the scripture quote-unquote scripture, or calling the corners or whatever they're doing, the person who's speaking, who's performing for the benefit of everyone else, needs to be noticeable. You need yeah. to be able to see them. You need to be able to hear them. You need to be able to understand yeah. what it is that they're trying to show you and, and offer to you, right? So mm -hmm. that's why in large groups, especially, costumes are actually really, really important to ritual. Yeah. Because say, for example, you have four people who one of each of them is calling a different quarter, different element. If you're 10 yards away from that person, you can't really hear what they're saying. And maybe you don't know exactly which direction they're standing in. It might be a little bit vague as to what is going on. Yeah. However, if the person in the north is wearing a costume full of like leaves or they're wearing a bear mask or something and they turn around and start and you know invoking yeah. the elements of earth you're like oh okay yeah, i understand and then the next person is wearing all this flowing robes that are blowing in the wind and they're calling wind or they're like playing a flute or something you yeah know? and you're like okay this is air you know what i mean it just makes it make it bigger make it more obvious make it more theatrical and more clear no absolutely yeah yeah to give a, a non-ritual um, example, like you see that in kind of just movie costume design, is you can you can convey a feeling or an emotion or a thought very quickly just by what the person's wearing. Absolutely, the one a, that a station. Yes. can be very clearly defined by a costume in a movie. Sta okay, yeah, station, no, station for sure, yeah. yeah. The one that actually jumped to mind for me was Kill Bill the Bride in the Crazy 88 scene. Well, I, I should point out the costume was borrowed from a Bruce Lee movie, uh, Game of Death, by the, the all yellow with black accents. That is something that you see in your daily life if you 
if you drive. It is every single caution sign on the road. And so what that costume is conveying is caution, danger. Right. That's a good point. Um, But the first thing that came to me when you mentioned movie costumes was actually the costumes for Charlize Theron as the evil queen in the new Snow White movies Mm. that were designed by Colleen Atwood, who is truly a goddess among humans. Like, she's incredible. And I read this interview with her where she's talking about how much fun she had designing these costumes, and she goes into detail. She used real bones. She used real insects. She used, like, all this fucking weird shit to make these costumes of this evil queen and she kept talking about like Charlize is six feet tall like she's so incredible to dress for this role because she's already this imposing like tall beautiful woman who has like all this presence Colleen who's incredible is talking about how incredible it was to dress Charlize because Charlize is such a great actress and it just becomes this she just becomes this force in those movies like she's amazing as the evil queen and not to detract from Charlize as an actress, because she's great, but I do feel like a lot of the weight of that role came from the costumes. And like I said, as soon as you see her, you're like, oh, that's the queen for sure. And it's not just the crown. You know, she's got this big cloak on with this exaggerated neckline on it. And it's just very, very imposing, very regal, very dramatic. And you know who she's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And costumes can be facilitated that way in ritual, absolutely, to show an imposing or important figure, as I did with your Serenus costume. You're already six foot four and a half, and you had like foot tall antlers on your head. (laughs) So you were a very imposing figure, as Serenus should be. Mm -hmm. So that made sense. But it can also be utilized in ritual for the opposite reason. If you're trying to show the maiden as like a demure, non-threatening, very soft, feminine, beautiful figure, you wouldn't dress her like that. You wouldn't yeah. dress her like Charlize and Snow White. You would dress her as you put her in something simple. You'd put her in a simple shift robe. Yeah. You know, maybe give her some flowers on the head or in the hair. Mm-hmm. If you're doing a makeup, you're maybe doing some blush, drawing out the freckles. You're, you know. Yeah. So it's very effective for her ritual to use costume. And I've even done it in some of the smaller rituals that I've run with you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And to effect, like when I did the one ritual where I did all those headpieces, I basically didn't want anyone to be feel left out. So I made one for everybody, even if they weren't like saying anything in yeah. the actual like ritual. But the three of us that were mainly speaking and saying the incantations that were actually causing the magic essentially during that ritual was you, me, and Jared, as per mentioned before from Mm Shrinks and Geeks, where I was playing the mother role of the goddess. So you were playing the father and he was playing the son, Mm -hmm. the S-U-N son, the son. (laughs) The big fiery boy. Yeah. (laughs) And his headpiece had like horns that had flames on them. And yours was like leafy with the antlers and mine was flowers. And it was very, very clear the role of each person based on what they were wearing. Mm-hmm. Even if even if you didn't hear what they said, but you are listening to what they say and you are looking at them and you are feeling the energy that's being built. And it's all happening on multiple levels. Which yeah. is what creates effective magic is when you're operating on multiple levels. Certainly, yeah. Sure work. Yeah. Do you remember what I 
was manifesting in that ritual, a home. Yeah. And here we are. And here we are. And I held out that cauldron to you. Or maybe it was the chalice. I can't remember. It was definitely a vessel. And I had you plunge that knife into it <laughs> in the like act of creation that was going to cause the manifestation of the thing mm-hmm. that we wanted. It wasn't just me, okay? Everybody present put a paper into the bonfire of a thing they were manifesting. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't actually checked in to see if everybody else's panned out or not. Some examples of costumes that get used in modern life are power suits. I guess that's my 80s thing. But like, power suit? Absolutely. Oh. It's like a woman walking in, like working girl, basically. Mm. Like a woman walking into a boardroom with the shoulder pads and like the all matching suit. And she's like, I have a proposal. (laughs) Yeah. She feels powerful. Everyone sees her. They see her outfit. They go, okay, she's here for business. Like she's not fucking around. It's doing the exact same thing that I was just describing, right? And then the other side of that, which is also interesting and used in literally the exact same way, is counterculture type of outfits. Mm. So the goal of those is to set you apart, to say, like, I'm different or I'm a part of this counterculture. I'm not mm. like you, oh, you yeah, button-down okay. pencil putter. <laughs> you know, I'm wearing my, like, big pants with straps across the attaching the legs to each other or whatever. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, and... That's always been a thing. Like in the 70s, it was bell bottoms and, you know. I mean, costumes are worn as part of ritual all over the world and mm-hmm. all throughout history. Religious rites, spiritual ritual endeavors. Yeah. Even in like Buddhism, certainly in like African tribes, different types of masks are worn to depict like different types of stories that they're telling. And it is often stories like kind of like what you're saying, maybe not necessarily as black and white as good triumphing over evil, but certainly like man versus his environment, really, is mm. usually the situation because it's about survival. I found something interesting here. I was looking at masks and I found something interesting about North American um, indigenous practice of using masks. It says that in the Pacific Northwest, indigenous groups were generally highly skilled woodworkers. Mm -hmm. Their masks were often masterpieces of carving, sometimes with movable jaws or a mask within a mask and parts moved by pulling cords. That sounds cool. I feel like that's a very like evocative image, especially if you pull the cord and the jaws moving and it's like click clacking as you do that. (laughs) I don't know. I just think that even like the process of creating a costume is potentially a spiritual endeavor in and of itself especially if you don't have all the distractions of modern life around you yeah where you have to like try and cram this hobby of yours into a little corner of your life you know what (laughs) is that how you feel i do kind of like i make costumes sometimes for fun and I usually end up making them two or three days before I have to wear them and like an insane time crunch because life has too many other demands on me. I don't have the time to sit down and hand stitch like a beautiful costume to use for a ritual even though I would love to do that. It's usually just not an option. Mm -hmm. In fact, one that I've been thinking about a lot is that I want to create a skirt in like traditional Slavic style of skirt with embroidery or applique maybe of red 
horses, red mares on it, and also okay. spikes with skulls on them because it would be a uh, Baba Yaga mm. skirt. I'd really love to create something like that. I wouldn't make something dedicated to a deity that I intended to use in any type of ritual capacity if I didn't have the time to dedicate to make it really perfect. Right. And to use the time of creating it as a type of like spiritual ret- retreat. Because you are doing like a lot of sewing right now, but I guess it's just mending. I'm doing mending because I, yeah, I was trying to stop looking at my phone while I'm trying to watch TV at the same time. It's like almost annoying how I'm distracting myself. Yeah. But then at the same time, I kind of can't help it. I can't resist almost Mm -hmm. or whatever. I can't focus. It's the modern brain, I guess, right? I need to be doing something with my hands at least. I'm looking at something on the TV, which for a long time I did like macrame or knitting for a while. Not that I have anything against those now. I still do them, but I have a lot of clothes with holes. <laughs> so yeah. I thought, why don't I throw any clothes I find that have a hole in them into this basket with all my like needles and thread. And then when I'm watching something, I'll just mend the holes. We should get a, a Faraday cage. A what? A Faraday cage. A ferret. Faraday What's that? Uh, Faraday cage is a... You can make them any size, but it's a specifically designed cage. It needs to be a specific kind of metal where the the signals can't get through because of the way that the, the metal is made. Oh, okay. Nothing can get through. And so if you get like a, just a small Faraday cage, you throw your phone in there, then you put like a time release lock on there <laughs> where your phone can do no evil for like two hours. You just got a ton of shit done. I feel like you could also just like put it in a drawer and put it on silent no. or do not disturb no, or whatever. You need, you, need the, you need the cage and the time release <laughs> lock. It's the only way that works. So one of the notes I made over here is... Um, shamanism and shape-shifting which i just feel like i need to touch on it quickly we've talked about it in the past but it, part of that practice is oh. to like look like the animal that you're mm. trying to wearing animal masks is very like pagan mm-hmm. <laughs> undertaking and even if it's not necessarily that specific of like i am a bear sometimes it's more i'm just like a wild forest spirit and I mm. think that's more common in European, like ancient European paganism, actually, rather than North American. Right. It's a little bit more like vague what mm-hmm. they're supposed to be. And then also I have a note about pathworking, which really I should have talked okay. about when I was talking about creating the costume that pertains to a particular deity. So if I were to sit down and begin to create this skirt that's supposed to be worn to make the wearer into essentially into Baba Yaga herself, the time that I spend on that, like that undertaking, that is in itself a type of path, path working, I would argue. Mm. You know, like dedicating the time to creating that is already a path working in itself. Right. Especially when it's done with intention. Mm-hmm. If you're, as you're making it, you're thinking like, why am I using these symbols? What's the relevance of this? What would this deity think about that? Et cetera, et cetera. Like, it actually kind of applies to the last week's episode about ancestor magic, where I was talking about how you could try to learn a skill that your ancestors would have had or learn their language. It's like a labor of love. Right. Right. 
It's the same thing. And even an example I have from my own experience is when last in bulk, when we were going to have people over and I was like nesting, essentially, I was cleaning up the house and I was baking things. I was baking bread and I was like making sure everything was nice, Mm -hmm. getting all the ingredients out to make the cider. I, as I was working in the kitchen, right by the hearth, because we actually did have a wood burning fireplace in the kitchen in that house, I felt very much that Brigitte was with me and Mm. that she was watching me and that she was like there. And so I, and in feeling that connection, I leaned into it and I was like, not speaking out loud to her, but very much feeling like I was communing with her and felt grateful for her presence as I was you know, creating this yeah. feast in her honor. And then it turned out that night when we actually had the ritual, that was the first time I ever aspected a goddess, really, especially in a group yeah. uh, setting. No, it was and a... So it, it was the labor of love, I think, that really, like, laid the path, literally, for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Of undergoing all of those types of tasks that would be associated with her as a goddess, you know, of like baking and writing like lines for the ritual and poetry and et cetera, you know? I'm trying to recall, did you, did you have any kind of intentional dress that day? I did. I did have intentional dress. I wore brown um, hemp leggings and a white dress and I wore a white and red flower crown. Right. Yeah. So that that was white, yeah. red, and brown are very much in bulk colors. Oh yeah. That's why I chose mm-hmm. them. Bridget colors. Yeah. So do you feel that like you dressed gesturing towards her? Do you think that if you had gotten all in it would have been even more potent, even more powerful? Potentially. Although I also would argue that I don't think it's possible to necessarily, if say I had all the money in the world and I was going to buy all the like Celtic regalia that I could get my hands on, that wouldn't necessarily lend any weight to that ritual. It needs to be done with intention. And when I was getting dressed that day, I had a few different options that I could have worn and I chose them based on what my intuition was telling me to wear even though it wasn't necessarily the most striking outfit I could have had on. And I am guilty of usually picking the most (laughs) dramatic looking outfit for any given event, right? Like that's usually what I do. you? Yeah. Mm. I'm pretty extra. (laughs) But that day I didn't do that. I chose based on what I felt intuitively drawn to. Mm -hmm. Picking up that outfit laid the basis for how I conducted myself for the rest of that day because I continued to listen to that intuition throughout the day. The more you listen, the louder it gets, the easier it gets to hear it. I always tell people that. Every single time I was reading for Clarence and I would get the moon card, I'd be like, okay, listen. (laughs) (laughs) The next time the little voice in the back of your head tells you, you should have a cup of tea right now, just do it. Even if it doesn't make sense, just do it. Because as soon as you start doing what the voice says, provided you don't have mental illness and like weird voices in your head, you hear it louder and yeah. your intuition gets stronger. Like that's how you train it. That it, it does raise an interesting question of do you pick the costume or does the costume pick you? 
I think sometimes the costume picks you. For example, the year that you said we went as a different god and goddess where I came upstairs ready to go to the concert dressed as Persephone and you saw me and went, I want to be dressed up too. Yeah. <laughs> and then we went downstairs, we cracked open some bins of costumes and then all of a sudden you were Hades. It just happened. Just like that. Yeah. So I think, yeah, sometimes it picks you. So yeah, it could be the the case that, you know, we got like five days left. If there is a costume that is calling out to you, <laughs> and you're like, I want to dress up like that, then maybe just trust that instinct and, and like walk into it because you might learn something about yourself or you might just look hot. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. Actually, it's funny, and you know Mean Girls, where there's the Halloween party? Yeah. And um, Lindsay Lohan shows up in the scary, like, dead bride costume, and everyone yeah. else is wearing laundry and animal ears. Mm-hmm. I'm a mouse. What are you supposed to be? I'm a mouse. Duh. <laughs> After that movie came out, everyone kept telling me that Amanda Siegfried reminded them of me, and at the time, I was very annoyed by that because she plays such dits in that movie. But the more I watch it, the more I'm like, no, yeah, it's good. I'm flattered. <laughs> anyway. People kept telling me Lindsay Lohan in that Halloween party reminds me of you to me because I show up to Halloween party looking like scary as fuck or weird (laughs) or like just doing some weird shit where everyone else is like trying to be hot, you know what I mean? And I'd be like, ooh, I'm Samara from The Ring or or something, (laughs) like whatever. I like to scare people. It's fun. Have you ever dressed as Samara from The Ring? I did briefly for one of my mom's like haunted house Mm. nights. If you're a listener, avid listener of this podcast, you already know that my mom is also a witch. One of her favorite things to do as the neighborhood witch is to, A, make it known that she is indeed the neighborhood witch in the (laughs) co-op where she lives, and B, frighten and delight the neighborhood children on Halloween. So she sets up these, not this year, RIP my mom's haunted house because of COVID, but normally she sets up this really incredible haunted house where kids will come up to her in like April and ask her if she's going to do it. And that's not an exaggeration. (laughs) Yeah, one year when she was doing that, I did kind of just put on like a white shift and I had long hair at the time, long dark hair, and I had it in my face and I was pretending to crawl out of the TV. (laughs) And it was very clearly way too much, like right at the beginning. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll dial it back a little. (laughs) Like, this is like actually scaring children to the point where they might be scarred for life you know like i should maybe just rein it in a little (laughs) so i never went to a like a party dressed as samara but i did try to like master weird crab walk thing she does (laughs) yeah the bray wyatt (laughs) we should get your mom on the pod yeah, I don't know. She doesn't like it. Remember? She listened yeah. to the werewolf episode and she was like, you guys get too off topic. Also, she gave me shit for being too mean to you. So. Yeah, but I, that's why I'm saying we should get her on the pod so that I really not have some kind of defender. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have two last, like, weird notes on here. I don't know what one of them means at all. I don't know what I was thinking when I wrote it. Okay. just says... The Grim Reaper walks you to your car. <laughs> wow, your own note really got you. <laughs> it's so stupid. The Grim Reaper walks you to your car. It's, I think when 
what I meant was like the Grim Reaper is not like a scary mean spirit. He's just there to help help you get to the other side, basically. All he's doing is escorting you to the place where you already need to go. So I was kind of imagining him as like, say, the bouncer in a club that you just left, and he's like, Do you need me to walk you to your car? You're like, mm. okay. And so then they were like, then you get to your car and you're right. fine. Okay. Whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like that. <laughs> I don't know why I wrote that. I, I'm a I'm a fella, so I've never had anyone walk me to my car. Yeah. I mean, uh, people are less likely to jump out of the bushes and like try to stab yeah. you for no reason. So that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> or to be like waiting in the backseat of your car for you to get in. Okay, so but like the, you're saying this as a benevolent thing. Yeah, I'm just like trying to say the Grim Reaper is not a mean guy. He's there to actually help you mm-hmm. get to the other side. He's trying to be nice. He's like, hey, do you need an escort? He may as well be the guy standing in front of the abortion clinic waiting to walk you from your car into the clinic. Right. Like he's just taking you to the place where you need to go. That's all he's doing. Are you sure you were in this lot? You've been walking around for three minutes. Are you sure you're not just haunting this parking structure? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I also wrote Skyclad, Equalizer or Predator? (laughs) Skyclad? It means naked. naked. Sorry, Skyclad means Mm -hmm. naked. Yes. Like you're wearing a costume over the sky. Like, yeah. The only thing on your skin is the sky. Okay. Wait, what was the, the parenthetical question? Equalizer or predator? Predator. What? <laughs> My point was that I was going to talk about how, like, people... Usually the reason for performing ritual skyclad is that it equalizes everyone in the coven. Meaning that if someone... Like I said before, it does have all the money and they can buy all this regalia to look super Celtic or whatever. They don't actually look like a more important member of the coven than someone who can't afford to do that and just needs to show up in like jeans or whatever. Mm. But I don't know that I buy that all the time. I have to go back and think about that uh, movie we watched, The Love Witch. Mm. And within that coven, there was a there was a diversity of opinion on how nude you needed to be. But I think they forced her to be nude when she was the subject of that ritual. Right. Like it was seemed implied to me that she didn't have a choice. Yeah, for sure. And so, based on based on that alone, I would say that like the equitable solution is. Nudity for those who want it, and absolutely no enforced nudity for anyone. Well, that's always a good rule, I think. But mm. my point is that I, it again, the love witch is a good example where it's like, okay, well, I'm the priest, so I wear a robe, but you're the initiate, so you have to be naked. Like right. that's not good, and it's a common trope in a lot of like media about right. witchcraft. I don't know how prevalent it so, actually is like, in real. You- Covens. It has never happened to me, but also I've always been in charge, so <laughs> why would it? 
What you're saying is that, like, even if it's not, like, a hard, fast rule that people are nude, it's, like, an expectation. Yeah. And I think it's very easy to be pressured into doing that, especially when you're a young person, especially when you're a woman. Young person. Especially when you're coming into a group of people that are already formed and you're the new person. Like, it's so easy to manipulate someone in that situation. And I don't like it at all. That being said, again, at these like summer solstice rituals that we've done and been at before, a lot of times once the ritual is over, one of our grounding activities is to jump in the river naked. I mean, again, it's n- nudity for those who want it. No enforced nudity for anyone. Yeah. Absolutely not. But I am, I wouldn't say guilty, but I have done it before after ritual and that it's like i'll just drop my white dress and jump in the river with my flower crown still on sometimes <laughs> it's one of those uh those classic issues of like the issue arises when it's when it's about power like when like when power enters into the equation and so yeah, i don't know the solution i think the thing that that immediately jumped to mind was just lean on the expectations of the youngest and newest person in the group is because they are, as the newcomer, by definition, going to feel like they have the least amount of power. And so for them to just be like, yeah, nudity's fine, or no, I'm not comfortable with that yet. Whatever, like, that word should be bond. Mm, I see what you're saying. So if it's going to make the newest person uncomfortable, it shouldn't be practiced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say I could agree with that for sure. I thought you meant like the newest person should dictate the costume, Yeah. whatever it is. But I agree with you when it comes to whether or not nudity is like what's being done. Cause and the, I, cause I think if real... you expect other people to wear costumes too at a ritual that you're in charge of, you need to provide them. Mm-hmm. Or, like, at least Definitely. offer to provide them, right? Yeah. Your goal in doing these practices isn't to, I don't think anyway, it should be even to do them by the letter of the practice. I think it should be to build a bigger tent. Build a longer table. Yeah. Yeah. Share more things with more people very much against the predominant ideology to like let your newcomers dictate things but i think that if you do that you will attract more newcomers well certainly you would but you might attract people that you don't want to be there i like i think if you have governing rules it's okay to trust that people who are interested in you have your best interests at heart I suppose, yeah. I don't know, though. I feel like I've had a lot of bad experiences with people in these types of circles already. Yeah, like uh, tourists? Not even tourists. It's more people who take it upon themselves to appear as, like, some type of leader in the community where what they're really trying to do is just use that position to 
manipulate people into doing what they want, exploit them in whatever way. Right. It's certainly, I don't mean to imply that women aren't capable of that type of activity because they absolutely are. But in my experience, it's always been men who For are sure. like, yeah. well, I have this like special knowledge that you want, so you yeah. should do what I say and then I'll give it to you. And that's super gross. <laughs> so I feel like it's people... I guess they don't want to be under me anyways, so if they wouldn't come. But I'm just, when you said you would attract more newcomers, I just immediately was like, no, oh, there's some people I don't want to attract, though. Right, yeah. <laughs> they are gross. They cannot come. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I guess that's, that's why I would say it is important for those newcomers to have a voice on, like, things that aren't necessarily essential to the practice. Sure. Yeah. Like, what you call it? Skycloth? Skyclad. Skyclad. I think even people who do always practice that say, wouldn't say that practice where you're wearing clothing is illegitimate. No, absolutely not. And I think that a really, really good alternative to Skyclad is just like a simple white shift yeah. for everyone. Same yeah. thing, same tunic for everybody. And... Even if your ritual specifically, air quotations, requires nudity as part of it, if it's like a purification or cleansing ritual, a simple white shift is just as effective as yeah. nudity is. Yeah. So fuck you. If you, like, if you mm. I'm sure no one listening would be the one to be like, no, you have to be naked. But if they are, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what we need to cleanse? You from this group. Just hold you in the water. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Full moon water, like a basin of full moon water. Oh. Dark moon water probably be better, actually. <laughs> we don't murder people, just for the record. No. No. No human sacrifice here. I think that's the show. That's the show. It's the Sister Luna Psychic Services podcast. You know, it's not technically called services in the actual podcast name sister luna podcast just cut the part of my signal where i said services <laughs> what uh, are you gonna dress up as for halloween let us know you know hit us up on your preferred social media platform oh uh, you're looking at me and so i thought i was looking at the microphone i'm talking okay. to the view listeners you turned towards the microphone afterwards but well what are you gonna dress up as john I am dressing up as either Little Red Riding Hood or Big Bad Wolf. <laughs> I've been told that we're doing a couple's costume, and I, I'm not involved in the, the planning of it. So You liar. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those things. It's a full moon this Samhain, as I'm sure everybody already knows. And so initially, because we recently got engaged, this was going to be our engagement party. However... COVID times have made that not an option, obviously. So I decided to instead pivot to having just a few people over that are already in our circle and providing a nostalgic Halloween experience for them with popcorn balls and apple <laughs> cider and things of that nature that, you know, everyone's had since they're kids at this time of year, hopefully to provide some comfort you know, for the people closest to us. And um, costume-wise, for you and I, I did think that again this is nostalgia it's a fairy tale and it pertains to a full moon yeah. where lycanthropy go back and listen to our episode on lycanthropy <laughs> 
But yeah, so John is going to be the big bad wolf, and I'm going to be a little red riding hood. Wait, does the the fairy tale actually happen during a full moon? I don't think so. I think that the werewolf association came later through like pop culture interpretations of the story. That would be a, a like a cool twist on it. Well, I mean, it's been done a lot. That's what I was just saying. The werewolf thing. Yeah. I just came up with it though. <laughs> like the big bad wolf is actually a werewolf. He attacks Little Red Riding Hood. She becomes a werewolf. Or um, another version is that Little Red Riding Hood becomes like a werewolf hunter because she has like a vendetta against right. werewolves for killing her grandma, etc. What about this? The like woodsman mm-hmm. kills the wolf and he's all like, yeah, saved your grandma. Like, no, we're not. John just did a very gross motion of like an okay symbol with one hand with a, like a circle and then he put his other finger through the hole of the circle. Don't see the okay hand. It's white supremacist now. Well, you just did it. All I did was describe it. Okay. I meant they're going to like make Whoopi. But Little Red Riding Hood is supposed to be a little girl. Is the woodsman a pedophile? Is she a little girl? Yes. Yeah, I thought she was just small. No. <laughs> She's not me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. But you She's understand why I misinterpreted. No, I rolled my eyes. I don't so, understand. But yeah, no, like the... They're about to hook up and the full moon comes out and then the woodsman is also a werewolf. Well, he got scratched when he was killing the wolf, so he got to Yes. yes. One of right. us is a writer. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're a good writer, too. <laughs> I just like I've, those I've never written a werewolf fan fiction. So. Neither have I. But I feel like I flex yes. my fiction writing muscles more than you do. More That's often. Yeah. I just have more time for it. Yeah. Have more stories on the go. I got I got different muscles. Dick muscles. That's one of them. <laughs> so yeah, no, we are dressing up as Little Red Riding Hood and the Big Bad Wolf. Like like I hope you're an adult version. <laughs> yeah. Because you just you made some some wild accusations just now. <laughs> I mean, I was referring to the original fairy tale, which yeah. is about a little girl bringing like essentially groceries to her yeah. grandma. Um, I myself am an adult woman. Girl. Yeah, so I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that I would be delivering groceries to my elderly family members, especially during COVID era. Yeah. So you know. Um, but yeah, maybe you've worn a costume, <laughs> listener. That's true. You could even, not necessarily your Halloween costume, but if you facilitated a really effective ritual costume, I would be especially interested to hear about that because maybe I could copy you. I once won a Halloween costume contest. Really? At a bar. And what were you dressed as? El Pantera Azul. Who the fuck is that? The Blue Panther. Okay. Is that a wrestler? Yes, but like it's not like anyone at that bar knew what the wrestler was. This was... I had worn a luchador mask and I wore a black suit and a blue shirt and a blue and white tie. And the tie matched the mask that I was wearing. You won a costume contest for that? Yeah. What the fuck were other people dressed as? I don't know. There were like a couple of good ones. A couple that probably 
would have been if you were just judging it based on the costume there were yeah definitely a few that should have won over me but the thing is is that like a costume contest is a popularity contest Mm -hmm. like this was it was judged by claps and so when uh when they called all the people up when they said like hey like this costume contest you know he'd go through like hey what are you and hold the microphone up and got the the interview like people just saying like you cut a promo i'm a a skeleton i'm a mummy i'm a you cut a promo didn't you Epstein. Mm-hmm. Um, no one was dressed as Epstein. No, yeah, it was. wasn't. It, yeah. <laughs> he was nobody at that yeah. time. So when it came up to me, I'm like, I'm Alcantara Azul, and I'm going to win this contest. And then he was like, oh, jeez, like, he seems serious. And then, like, went on and kept doing it. And... So you won by pretending to be Mexican. Yeah, by doing uh <laughs> By doing brown face on my voice. Yeah. Brown voice. That's racist. Is it? It's a language, and it's a white person language. I'm just making fun of you. You also got nominated for Best Costume at Dickens the Year You Were Dressed as Serenus. Remember? The doorman nominated you. That's true, yeah. Yeah. And, again, if it had been judged solely on costume, you would have won that time. It was reverse. Because your Mm. costume was fucking sick. Not to pat my own back, but... I really crushed it on that one. No, we, we <laughs> you did, looked amazing. We Both of us looked amazing. But your costume yeah. was a lot more imposing and like intense looking yeah. than mine was, where I was just kind of wearing like essentially a toga and like a bunch of keys and a little headdress that had like a moon on it. So Dickens is a much bigger and more popular bar. And so like people who won Like I, I won a regional costume contest, so that one was like a, a major the people who won that contest all worked at that bar. Yeah. Literally. They literally all worked there. So And you know what? You were never going to win. Good no for them. how good your costume was. <laughs> good for them. No, absolutely. I'm not talking shit. I'm just saying the costume I made for you was better than the costume I won. There yeah. we go. <laughs> I don't fuck around when it comes to costumes, John. Even when I'm like, okay, so the really intense Lilith and Lucifer costumes I was planning when it was going to be our engagement party for this Halloween, even though I'm not wearing a crown made of bones anymore, (laughs) still not completely phoning it in in the costume realm. You know what I'm saying? So here's the actual, like, difficult question. Did I win that? Did I win that contest because I played a character? Or because I channeled the costume. Yeah, I don't know. I guess. Maybe it's possible it was the latter, but I really can't say. That is one of my favorite things about Halloween costumes is when you get to go around and like pretend to be the thing that you're dressed up as. Mm. There was a year where I made a poison ivy costume for myself, but I made it very specific to a point in the character origin story of poison ivy which was the moment when she gets turned into a hero, where she goes from biologist to eco-terrorist. <laughs> and so I made a, I took a bra that I already had, cut the straps off, dyed it green, painstakingly glued individual fake ivy leaves yeah. onto it to make it like a spiky, like really cool ivy bra. 
And I had shorts, which I also glued a bunch of leaves onto. And I did all of this like body paint on myself of leaves. And I had a green lipstick and like this whole look. And then I put a lab coat over it with a name tag that said Pamela. Yeah. And I was like, fuck yes. Also, I was wearing a red wig, obviously. And I was like, hell yeah. And I was out on the town. I was probably like 18 or 19 years old. Like I was young and I was having a great time. Freezing my ass off, but I did not care. <laughs> and I remember going into the Drum and Monkey. Remember the Drum and Monkey? It's not even there okay. anymore. Yeah. Oh, tear. Anyway, we're in there, and this guy came up to me dressed as the Flash. But okay, so we had the Flash costume that you buy at the store with like the fake muscles. Okay. But nice. he was so drunk that he had like untied the back and he had it like half off. <laughs> So he's like... He was either so drunk or he was moving so quickly. I think he was boiling to death because it was hot in that bar and he was wearing all these like styrofoam muscles, right? So now he has like two sets of arms. He's like a (laughs) weird monster with four arms. (laughs) Like one of them's a flash and one... Anyway. Damn, forearm flash. Yeah. So he came up to me and asked me, whoa, what's your name? I said, I'm Poison Ivy. And he said, oh, I know, but, like, what's your name? And I said, I just, like, didn't want to talk to him. Obviously, he was so drunk. And I was like, it's Pamela. He's like, hey, Pamela. And I'm like, just get away from me. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I gave you one chance to be, like, have a light bulb moment of, oh, this is the name of the character. But no, he just, like, derp. We do sex? I'm like. No, no, get away from me, peasant. (laughs) You know what my favorite part of this whole story was? What? At the start, you were like, yeah, I was doing a Poison Ivy costume, but it was a very specific point. It was when she became a hero. Yeah. Oh, she's a villain, right. In the context (laughs) of the comic, she's a villain. No, she's my No, she was just a scientist, and now she's an (laughs) eco-terrorist. Oh no! It's like yeah, that's when she became because <laughs> the Keanu Reeves movie. Keanu Reeves. Where he flips off the devil and it's told to Confucius. No, no. the other one where he slits his wrist. He slit. No, it's the one where he dies. It's a yeah. C name. It's a C name. He slits his wrist. Constantine. The- Constantine. Confucius. <laughs> Help Sure, Constantine. Yeah. The name of the comic was Hellblazer, oh. and the name of the character is John Constantine. I never read the comic. I just yeah. saw the movie. I don't know where the comic either. Was a uh, an Alan Moore. Though. He's the man. Moore is a magician. What do you mean by that? He is someone who practices and believes in magic. Well, you're a witch. How is that being different from a uh, cultist? It's not. I think any term is interchangeable, essentially. It's all just semantics. It doesn't really matter. Words are dead. They're inert. They're never going to perfectly explain anything. You are an occultist, which is a broad term, and you are a witch, which specifically refers to the type of magic that you practice, which derives itself from a history of, like... Wiccans and... The word witch, the reason I use the word witch is because it's an intention of taking back the terminology. The same reason why the word pagan is used. 
But I particularly myself use the word witch because even in my lifetime, that word still instilled fear and suspicion in people when I was younger, like when my mom used it. Mm -hmm. And when I started using it when I was in my middle teens, right? So I wanted to change the meaning of that word with my actions, and that's why I continued to use it. Right, because you valued it and you drew Absolutely. A I think historical that, lineage. From exactly. It. I think the historical significance of the word witch, especially when you consider it being like shouted at the hangings of innocent women who were just, you know, had the gall to have their own farm that they could manage by themselves or whatever their crime was, quote unquote, crime was, right? Yeah. It was just a word used to condemn powerful women who refused to subjugate themselves to the patriarchy to death. And I think that that is absolutely a term that I'm honored to be able to apply to myself, if anything. I love you. Thanks. I love you too. (laughs) So, John, now that we've discussed it, why are costumes relevant to witchcraft or ritual in any way? I think it enhances the work that you're already doing. It adds another sensory level to it enhances your own energy and what you're able to do or whether it the costume itself has its own energy. It doesn't really matter, but the combined effect can do something. Okay, that's very interesting. I like that. Dear Miss Luna, <laughs> We accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole October evening (laughs) collecting candy for whatever it is we did wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling us who you think we are. You see us as you want to see us in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But we found out that each of us is a pirate, is a zombie, is a werewolf, is a princess, and a basket case. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, the Halloween Club. Don't you forget about me. Oh, God, I was so fucking in love with you after that movie. I was like, please, light your shoe on fire for me. <laughs> what the- he lights it to on fire in the movie. <laughs> for me, John, and the rest of the Halloween Club, we thank you for coming out. And now, Professor Luna says, Wearing costumes can add a layer of depth to any ritual that you perform, whether that be a solitary ritual or a ritual with others. It allows you to connect with your younger self and brings all layers of your being into focus during your ritual. And I would highly recommend you experiment with this in your own practice. Blessed be and happy Samhain.